Well, right now we are in a series in the book of Joshua called The Lord Gives Victory. And the name Joshua means that, the Lord gives victory. We are going through the first 10 chapters of the book of Joshua, one chapter per week. This week we are on Joshua chapter 4, that's what I will be sharing today. But before I do, I want to give a little brief review of what we've read and learned thus far. So the book of Joshua is when God tells his people, the Israelites, it's time for you to go into your promised land. And he calls Joshua to be the leader of the Israelites. And he tells them, you be strong and you be courageous, Joshua, because you're going to lead these people into their promised land. So then in chapter two, Joshua sends some spies into the promised land just to kind of scope it out so that they can get a battle plan of how they're going to um, conquer that promised land. And as they are there, they receive asylum and assistance from a woman named Rahab. And in exchange for her help, the spies promise her and her family protection when they come back in to conquer the land. Then after the spies come back, they say, okay, here we go. And so they get all ready to go into the promised land. And the first thing that they need to do is cross a river and it's called the Jordan River. And so God commands the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God, the representation of God's presence and power, by the way. The priests are supposed to carry it. And even though the water was at flood stage and, and very full, a full, full river, when the priest stepped foot inside the river, the river started to recede and be drawn back so that all of the Israelites could go across the river on dry ground. And that is where we pick up the story today. Um, by the way, there were about a million people that needed to get across that riverbed. So those priests were standing there for quite a while, being strong and allowing the people to get the victory. Sometimes, by the way, sometimes you are called to be strong to allow someone else to get a victory as well. Um, keep that in mind. That's just not part of the message, but just something to, to say. So... I would like to read to you Joshua chapter 4 out of the New Living Translation of the Bible. It's going to be up here on the screen. However, if you'd like to follow along in your own paper Bible or on your device, obviously you may feel free to do that. Joshua chapter 4. When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now, choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. 
So the men did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. <coughs> Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. The priests who were carrying the Ark stood in the middle of the river until all of the Lord's commands that Moses had given to Joshua were carried out. Meanwhile, the people hurried across the riverbed. And when everyone was safely on the other side, the priests crossed over with the ark of the Lord as the people watched. The armed warriors from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh led the Israelites across the Jordan, just as Moses had directed. These armed men, about 40,000 strong, were ready for battle and the Lord was with them as they crossed over to the plains of Jericho. That day, the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. And for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. The Lord had said to Joshua, command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come up out of the riverbed. So Joshua gave the command. As soon as the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up out of the riverbed and their feet were on ground, the water of the Jordan returned and overflowed its banks as before. The people crossed the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it all up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. And to fear the Lord your God means to honor him and to obey him. Well, how many of you remember when you were maybe in middle school or in high school and you had to read a long passage and figure out the, what the main idea of that passage was? Yep. For this passage, for he, um, Joshua chapter 4, the main idea, the main theme and purpose of this chapter are the memorial stones that were taken out of the river and stacked up for people to remember. So for the remainder of our time this morning, we are going to be talking about memorials, what they are why they are important, and then we are going to close our time together with a meaningful personal activity, and you've probably noticed the rocks on your chair. That's going to be part of the activity. One of the ladies at first service asked if we were going to be stoning someone at church today, <laughs> and no, this is not that kind of a church, so it's for something much different and much more um, meaningful and appropriate. Well, in any culture, a memorial is some sort of a structure that is established to remind people of a person or of an event. 
And I thought I would show you just two memorials in our own country that I have been to and seen, and maybe you have as well. The first is the Lincoln Memorial. There it is there in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Has anyone seen this memorial? Okay, a few of us. Now, the words inscripted above that statue tell us the purpose of the memorial with our 16th president, who was a very fierce and wise leader and who led our country during some of its darkest days. And it reads this, in this temple, as in the hearts of the people for whom he saved the union, the memory of Abraham Lincoln is enshrined forever. The next one is the USS Arizona at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. Has anyone been to this memorial? Okay, a handful of us as well. You'll notice that the, the white memorial lies across a big ship that is sunk underneath it. And this memorial marks the resting place of the 1,102 of, of the 1,177 sailors and Marines that were killed on the USS Arizona during the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, and it commemorates the events of that day. Well, just like these memorials are an important part of our nation's history and mean something to us because they strike a chord deep in our hearts, the memorial stones from the Jordan River were an important part of Israel's history as well. And you might have noticed that we have um, a pile, 12 stones right here. I'm imagining that these were about the size of the stones that they took out of the riverbed because as, as we read, they had to be carried on, on a sh someone's shoulder. Now, I didn't carry it and set up these rocks. Some strong men here at the church did that. And I'm sure that the stones that they had were much smaller even than this because maybe they weren't quite as strong as the men here at this church who helped me with this, but nonetheless about this size, okay? Um, and they had to carry them quite away, and then they set them up as a memorial. And they were, like I said, in a very important part of the nation of Israel's history. And I want you to notice as I read again, verses 20 through 24, it was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. So th this was part of their history. They set this up as a memorial to remind themselves and future generations what the Lord had done for them as they crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. Now, through this, we also see the importance that God places on it, memorials. Because if you put up um, the first part of Joshua verses 1 through 3, it says that it was God's idea in the first place. He's the one who said to Joshua, I want you to have the people do this. And there, I believe through studying this portion of scripture, I believe that there's two more main reasons why God had the people do this two main reasons why memorials are important to God and why they're important to us as well. The first one is to help us not forget to remember 
what God has done. Now, that's kind of a tongue twister to help us not forget to remember what God has done. The second reason is to remind us to tell future generations or the next generation. So we're going to look at each of these two reasons and see how we can apply them to our lives. So the first one is to help us not forget to remember what God has done. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to forget something? (laughs) And maybe when you're going through a season of life, I think back to when I was a mom and I had newborns. And I thought, there's no way I'm ever going to forget this sleep deprivation and how it made me feel, these sleepless, crazy nights. And then you move on to the next season, toddlerhood, terrible twos, terrible threes, terrible teens, all of that. <laughs> and then you, you forget about the past because you're so focused in on what's going on right now. It's really human nature to forget. And there's many reasons why we forget things. And I did a little bit of research about why our brain forgets things. I came across an interesting article from Psychology Today called Why We Forget that explained several reasons why our brains don't remember. One of them is because we're so focused on the present that we forget the past. We're, we're really in whatever's going on presently in our life. And that makes sense because you need some brown, ba- bright brain power <laughs> to be focused in on what you have ahead of you. Another reason why we forget things is actually, I think, a blessing from God. Sometimes we forget so that we can move on past difficult circumstances. Because if we were continually remembering trauma and pain and that kind of thing from our past, some of us have been in seasons where that's happening, and it makes it hard for us to function in our present life because we are so focused on what we've been through in the past. So in a way, that's a blessing from God when we're able to forget bad things from the past so that we can move forward. But finally, this article explained that forgetting is a necessary part of remembering what's important. So sometimes we put peripheral information that we don't need away from our brain so that our brain can have the capacity to remember that which is important to us. So my question for us to consider this morning is, do you think it's important to remember what God has done in your life? And obviously, that's a rhetorical question. Yes, of course, it'd be important to remember what God has done in your life. But why? Why is it important to remember what God has done? And I want you to just think about that in your own mind. Why is it important for you to remember what God has done? There's many different reasons. One reason is so that we can continually praise him and thank him for the good things he's done, for his provision, for his care, for answered prayer. Another reason why it's important to remember is because when you think about God and what he's done, that helps you to understand who he is, and it helps you to understand his character so that you can say, I remember when God did such and such, and that shows me that he is faithful, a provider, loving, forgiving, fill in the blank. (laughs) And then that can also help you to encourage yourself to trust in him. Because sometimes when we're going through this life, we can get ourselves a little worked up based on our circumstances. And when we remember what God has done in the past, it helps us to trust him for our present and for our future as well. One of my favorite sayings that I have to say to myself on 
often is God hasn't gotten me this far to ditch me now. <laughs> and the same is true to you. God has not gotten you this far to ditch you now. And that's why it's important to remember what God has done. And then finally, I think an important reason to remember what God has done is so that you can live a life that honors him. That part of the way that you say thank you to God for the good things that he has done is by living a life that, that praises him, not just with our words or our, our action, um, not just with our words, but with our actions in our very life. So a memorial helps you not forget to remember what God has done. So does that mean that every time God does something good for you, you need to build a rock tower as a memorial? Not at all, although there are times when doing something of that nature may be appropriate. But my question for myself, for you this morning is, what can you do to not forget to remember? I know many different things that people do. Some people journal what God has done for them so that they can go back and read their journals. Some people wear a piece of jewelry that reminds them what God has done for them. Some people get a tattoo. Some people hang something up in their home or some make a note in their Bible. But what can you do to remember what God has done? Your faith and your very life are enriched when you take time to remember God. The second purpose of a memorial is to remind us to tell the next generation. And this is so important that it was mentioned two times, both in verse 6 and verse 21. And anytime there's repetition in the Bible, that means it's something to take note of, and it also means that it is important. So verse 6 says, we will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And then again, in verse 21, then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Now, how many of you know that kids are curious? <laughs> it doesn't, from maybe about age two or three, for many, many years, kids are always asking why. They want to know why. It's one of their very favorite words. The, probably the first favorite word is no, but then after that, after they grow out, outgrow that stage, a, a word that's their favorite for many years is why. And because kids are curious, Joshua knew that when kids saw that pile of rocks, they would want to ask why, why are those there? And it would give the people a perfect opportunity to answer their question with a God story. Now, a God story is a story where you share your personal experience of what God has done for you. Anytime you share with someone else what God's done, that's a God story. And God stories are very effective, if not the most effective ways to share your faith with people. And there's a couple things that I love about God stories. The first one is you don't have to have a master's degree in theology to share a God story. <laughs> you simply share what God has done for you. Also, whereas people um, can debate and argue with theology, it's very difficult for someone to argue with you about a story of what God has done for you. It's, it's near impossible <laughs> for them to argue with, with what God has done. God stories are very powerful. God stories are personal, they're special, they're meaningful. And when we share God stories, 
with the next generation, whether that be your kids, a niece or a nephew, grandkids, kids that you have relationship with here at church. It shows that next generation that it's not only your story, it's part of their story as well. There's spiritual identity that comes through God's stories. Now, I have a lot of God stories that I love to share, and it, it would be wonderful if we all took time to write out our God stories. Many, few of us do that, however, but we can verbalize them to the next generation. Now, I wanted to share just one with you this morning. Mark and I were newly married, and we were, I was probably seven or eight months pregnant with our oldest daughter, Allie, and we um, were very, very poor. <laughs> we worked at a church, but they couldn't afford to pay us, so we um, also had jobs outside of a church, which was awesome, and we were getting ready to have this little baby girl, and we didn't have anything for her. <laughs> we didn't know what we were going to be bringing her home in, where she would sleep, any of that, so one day, Mark and I decided that we were going to go look at some yard sales and try to find a crib, maybe some little makeshift, something that we could make into a changing table so that we could feel prepared for this little blessing that God was sending our way. Well, we were getting ready to rush out the door, and as we did, the phone rang, and that was before the days of caller ID or, you know, your cell phone when you know who is calling you. And so I looked at Mark, and I said, should we answer that or not? He goes, yeah, go ahead and answer it. So I pick up the phone. I said, hello, and there was a voice on the other line. Well, hello, Katie, this is Green Grandma. Now, Green Grandma, we affectionately called her Green Grandma. That was a term of endearment, so... Um, that was Mark's grandma on his mom's side of the family. And I said, well, hi, grandma. How are you today? And she said, well, I'm fine, but I have a question for you. And I said, well, what's that? And she said, what, what are you doing today? And I said, well, actually, Mark and I are on our way out the door. We're heading to some yard sales to see if we could find a little crib and maybe something that we could make into a changing table for this baby. And she said, oh, that is so interesting. And I said, why is that interesting? And she said, well, I really felt prompted by God to call you guys up and to offer to buy you a crib and a changing table, but I just wasn't really sure if that was God or not. By the way, if you ever feel prompted by God to bless a young couple, you don't have to stop to wonder if that's him. Just do it, okay? <laughs> just do it. For that matter, to bless anyone, just do it. And she said, but I just wasn't sure. So I told God, I'm going to call them on the phone. And if they're by any chance happening to go out to get a crib or a change table, then I'll really know that that's what you want me to do. And she said, so honey, I want you to just go. You don't even have to go to a yard sale. You go to whatever store you can find and you get the best crib and the best um, changing table that you can for this great-granddaughter of mine. And I said, well, thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Grandma. So we went out and bought, um, bought a changing table, bought a crib, and we just got rid of that changing table a few years ago because it transitioned to a dresser, and we were able to bless the crib with another young family who needed it. And so that's one of my favorite stories of God's goodness and his faithfulness and his provision. But you know what? That story isn't only meant for me. It's meant for those who are coming behind me as well. Your God story isn't just meant for you. It's meant for those 
who are coming behind you. Because God's stories help the next generation to see that if God could do it for you, he could do it for them as well. One of my favorite verses, Psalm 145, 4, says, Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. This is, this is a command to us. Let us tell. Let us proclaim. That means using our, opening our mouths to sharing with others the good things that God has done. I love, as I was studying, one of the um, Bibles that I was studying out of is the Chronological Life Application Study Bible. And this is what it had to say about these verses in chapter, Joshua chapter 4. It says this, The memorial of 12 stones was to be a constant reminder of the day the Israelites crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. Their children would see the stones, hear the story, and learn about God. Do you have traditions, special dates, or special places to help your children learn about God's work in your life? Do you take time to tell them what God has done for you, forgiving and saving you, answering your prayers, supplying your needs? Retelling your story will help keep memories of God's faithfulness alive in your family. Isn't that good? Well, this morning, in an effort to not forget to remember what God has done, and to tell the next generation, we have a meaningful way that we are going to close our service. And I'm calling this activity Rocks of Remembrance. <clears throat> now, I'm sure you've noticed as I alluded to the rocks as you came in on your chair. So I invite you to grab one of those rocks. If you're in a row where you need some extras, there's some at the back table. You could raise your hand and an usher could bring you one. There's several up in the front row because no one likes to sit up in the front row. So you could grab one from there. And what I'd like you to do is to begin to think about something that God has done for you, something that Jesus, the Holy Spirit has done for you, maybe some healing, some provision or deliverance, answered prayer, comfort or peace, maybe restoration of a relationship. And then I invite you to take one of the Sharpies that's in the pockets and write that on your rock. Maybe you would write a sentence Maybe you would just write a word or two that reminds you what it is. And as you're doing that, I've asked a few people who are over the age 50, who represent the older generation, to come forward and to share with us what God has done for them. So if, that's, if you're someone who I've already asked to come forward, you may come forward now to do that. And as they're sharing what they've written on their rocks, I want you to write something on yours. Now... The people who share, they're going to either feel free to leave their rocks here to add to our memorial, or they're going to take their rock home. You can do the same thing. You can either feel free to leave your rock here and add to our memorial, come on up, or you can take it home with you. So as they're sharing what they um, want to share with us about what God has done for them, you can be writing on your rock what God has done for you. You can come a little bit closer. We're going to start over here with Deanna. All right. Well, on my rock, I wrote, oh, on my rock, I wrote, God is my father. And so um, just to give you a little background on that, um, when I was a little girl, I um, lived in Okinawa, Japan. My dad was in the service, and my mom was from Okinawa, so 
So from about age one to five, that's where, where I grew up. And um, it was a really wonderful time. Um, I, would, I remember I would be waiting for my dad all the time to come home, and I was a daddy's girl. So when he'd get off of work, he would come home, and I, um, and I was always looking forward to playing with him because, you know, moms were always about eat your vegetables, but dad was, you know, he was the fun guy. <laughs> and so I, I just remember he would play with me, and then I would get in my pajamas at night, and then I would um, crawl up on the couch next to him, and he always had that dad smell, <laughs> and I, I call it old spice and hard work. <laughs> and so anyway, then when I was five, we moved to... Um, the states and then we ended up in Spokane when I was six and we bought a house and a month later my dad um, came to me and he said um, I have to leave for a year so because he was in the military so he went to Vietnam and I remember it was just a really kind of sad and, and lonely time because you know I didn't know anybody I had no friends we just moved here my dad was gone he was the the fun fun parent <clears throat> and so anyway um, God sent a very uh, godly woman into, into my life. And she kind of looked after my mom and I, and she was a Christian, and she took me to church, and that's the first time that I, I um, heard about God and about Jesus and how God was my father and Jesus was my savior. And uh, so that year came and went. She took me to church every, every Sunday, and my dad came back. And I was like, oh, all right, you know, my dad's safe and sound, and and I, looking back now, I, I know that when um, that lady came into my life, it was kind of like a pivotal moment in my life. So either I was going to be, you know, a child of the world or a child of God. And uh, so anyway, my dad came back, and, you know, I was relieved because I knew what Vietnam was, and I knew it was a war, and people died. And, but my dad came back, and so I was really happy, and I was really glad. But um, I noticed that he was not the same anymore. He, um, you know, he was distant, he was sad, he was, um, well, they have a word for it now, it's PTSD. So, um, I went from being um, daddy's little girl to an invisible girl. <laughs> Dysfunction comes into your family and into people's lives, and it takes you into areas of darkness and situations of darkness. But even through all those times of darkness, God reminded me that I was his beloved and I was worth fighting for. Mm -hmm. And so he gave me the strength every day to do better for my life and want better for my life than what I was living. And I promised that I would have that for my children, that they would know the Lord. And, and that they would know that God was their father and Jesus was their savior. And what the enemy meant for bad, God meant for good. So what the enemy got was he created a prayer monster 
And I looked forward every day to getting up and rebuking him and binding him up and thwarting his plans. So when I get up in the morning, I get up and I pray. And the wonderful thing about prayer is you can do it anywhere, anytime for anyone. Mm -hmm. And the enemy can't stop that. Mm -hmm. So on the back of my rock, I wrote, I win. Because I know the story from the beginning to the end that Jesus wrote that we win and the enemy does not and I win because God is my father. Amen. Thank you, Deanna. All right. You can feel free to put it up or you can put it on the moment or take it back. Or put it up. Yeah. Okay. This is Martha. Well, um, so I just wrote it out in a couple of sentences. 26 years after the surgeons couldn't get a clear margin, I'm grateful the Lord brought me across a seemingly impossible cancer river. Amen. Very good. Thank you. This is Carla. I've been healed of kidney disease that in my late 20s, early 30s, didn't look good. And it's really odd because my doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. They knew I had kidney issues. I had strep throat in my 20s. And if you don't know about strep throat, if it doesn't get healed, it can attack other parts of your bodies and attacked my kidneys. And I was healthy. I looked great, but my kidneys weren't. They were putting out so much protein, it was becoming a concern. And protein has to come out of your body at a certain degree, between zero and 150. Mine was coming out, it, it had gotten up to 1400. And at that point, they couldn't explain why I was doing so well, they just knew that if it continued to go that way, I would need new kidneys. But God, but God healed me. And to this day I stand healed, healthy, and knowing that his word his word that says, by his stripes, you are healed. It is done. And I am older now, and I can just give glory to God in what he's done and can do in our lives if we just let him healed. Amen. Thank you, Carla. Well, I'm Lenny, and uh, I wrote on the rock from uh, darkness to light. And what I wanted to say was that as a teenager, I lived in a very dark place, and I never thought it would end. I ended up in prison. I hurt some people. And uh, there came a time when I, I decided that uh, I, was, I didn't want to live in darkness anymore, and I was going to end it. And, uh, Somebody told me that Jesus loved me. And uh, I asked him into my heart. And uh, he carried me from the darkness to light. And I just want to say to all the young people here, when, when you, think you're, you think your life is over when you're young, like it's never going to end because it, it just feels so bad, it gets better. And uh, after, after all that, I mean, I, I just can't tell you the 
the goodness of God He's given me, since that time, I've had 41 years of marriage with a wife that loved me through it all. And uh, I'm 70 now, and I believe that for me, life started again at 70. So <laughs> there's, there's a lot to look forward to, and, and with God, all things are possible. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Um, I wrote two words down. One was healing. A little about four and a half years ago, the doctors told me I had a month or two to live. And um, four months after that, he said, I don't know what happened. And I've been cancer-free since. So I give uh, God praise for that. But the more important word I wanted to write was relationship. Um, 68 years ago, I started a relationship with Christ, and the truth is he's never stopped. But he also gave me relationship with people I ministered with in churches and worked on ministry teams with. And in the church, in truth, we have relationships that transform our lives. And because of those relationships, we can relate to God in new ways. So I'm thankful for relationships. Amen. Thank you. In 2010... I was diagnosed with an incurable and terminal blood disease. I'm still here. <laughs> I was given a short time to live, and I'm still here. And I'm just grateful to God. Amen. Thank you so much. Okay, and now it's your turn. So after you've written on your rock, I would like you to share with your neighbor what it is that you wrote, what God's done for you. And then you can either come up and add your rock to the memorial, or you can take your rock home if you'd like and leave it there. If you want to leave one here and you want to take one, grab another rock. We have a few left over and put one up here and then take one home as well. I've invited the worship team to sing a song over us and that we can sing with as well so that during this time we write down what God has done for us tell someone and then bring it or keep it and then you can stand and join singing with us this song is called do it again and it's just a really awesome um, powerful song of victory of asking God to to be faithful which he is so I invite you to stand um, Go ahead and share what you wrote down with someone else, and then if you'd like, go ahead and bring it up front. 